everybody, and welcome to the Canem Rinse Podcast. This is Volume 8, Issue 390, and we are talking about Final Fantasy XIII. You can play along with Kanan Rinse if you like. We have uh, quite a few fun issues coming up, and the next five are going to be The Evil Within, Batman Arkham Origins, Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, and Donkey Kong 64. Uh, We do have more than just this podcast. I know, this is a lot by itself, but we have three other podcasts on the site. Currently, we have Sound of Play, that is our video games music podcast, and that is on Wednesdays. We have Playwright with Ryan and Ryan on Thursdays, and that is a kind of video game idea show where they workshop ideas into something very cool. Uh, The Sausage Factory with Chris O'Regan is on Fridays, where he speaks to game developers about their craft and uh, see how the uh, titular sausage is made. So joining me, Leah Haydu, in issue 390 are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Thomas Quilfelt. Hey. Hi. Uh, we were also set to have uh, Charlotte, Charlotte Cuts, on this episode, um, but unfortunately, due to some computer issues, uh, she is not going to be able to be here. So what I would like to say is um, that if you are interested in any of the things that we're talking about and uh, just of Final Fantasy Thirteen in general, uh, go look up her article on Destructoid um, called I Changed My Mind About Final Fantasy Thirteen. Uh, it I actually pulled it for uh, reference material for this podcast before I even looked at who had written it. So um, it's quite good, and uh, I do recommend it. And uh, sorry, Charlotte, uh, we, we wish you were here. Um, but for now, let's go ahead and talk about Final Fantasy XIII. Uh, directed by Matomo Toriyama, uh, with art direction by Isamu Kamiko Kurio, and storyboard direction by Yoshinori Kanada. Uh, it was published by Square Enix in, in uh, all territories, I believe. Uh, designer of Tetsuya Nomura, as you can probably tell. There's lots of zippers and buckles and pointy hair. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's mean. Is that mean? That's, it's, it's not mean. I don't mean it to be mean, uh, but he, he does have a style. Um, programmers, um, lead programmer is Yoshiki Kashitani. Uh, and then we have um, the art design, which uh, is lovely. And we're going to talk a lot about the visuals of this game. Uh, Yoshitaka Amano, uh, who did a lot of the image illustration for the game. Um, you've probably seen a lot of his work uh, in, in various places, but notably tied to the Final Fantasy series. Um, lead writer of Daisuke Watanabe. Uh, the music, interestingly, um, we spoke in some earlier issues about how uh, Nobuo Uematsu uh, kind of backed away from the series uh, and you know, just kind of had uh, legacy credits in in some of the last issues. Uh, There is no Nobuo Oibatsu to be found in the credits of this game. Uh, Instead, we have uh, the lead composer of Masashi Hamauzu um, with sound direction by Tomohiro Ujima. Okay, so uh, was released on the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 uh, uh, over the end of 2009 and 2010. It was December 17th of 2009 in Japan, and then uh, US uh, and the EU, and I believe most of the rest of the territories that it was released in. Uh, There may have been some slightly later ones, but uh, the 
majority of the releases came around March 9th of 2010. Uh, there was an iOS and Android uh, release, Japan only, uh, April 10th, 2015. I never really understand how some of these games get these iOS and Android releases. Like, this does not seem like it would fit to me, but um, I, I guess I guess it did because <laughs> it came out in Japan. Uh, that was April 10th of 2015. Uh, PC port was uh, slightly earlier than that, uh, October 9th of 2014. And uh, Recently, the game did receive uh, Xbox One backwards compatibility, including an enhanced edition of 4K for the Xbox One X, and that was quite recently, November 13th of 2018. Um, uh, First of all, let's go ahead and take a quick look at the reviews. Uh, I don't want to delve into this too much, but it is interesting that uh, one of the correspondents that we will later hear from notes that um, we have talked before about how some games tend to have kind of a feeling about them that like everybody feels like Final Fantasy 13 was not received particularly well or everybody feels like everyone loved a certain entry in the series. Well, if you feel like Final Fantasy 13 was not particularly well received, you might be surprised to find that in the release window, at least, it was actually received extremely well. Um, Moby Games has a uh, score currently of 3.5 out of 5 from users, 81% from critics. Metacritic, um, around the same, 7.2 out of 10 from users and 83% from critics. But on release, Famitsu gave this game a 39 out of 40, which is pretty good. Um, And the lone score that I found that was somewhat low was Edge Edge Magazine's score, which was a 5 out of 10. So, not great. But even still, they didn't, you know, they didn't completely tank it. It was... I think sometimes we lose a little bit of uh, perspective on those. But, uh, yeah, that was that was one of the lower ones. Uh, but overall, pretty decent scores. Not top of the line, but uh, not something that you would expect from a game that was uh, not not looked favorably upon by a lot of people. Uh, mm. Sales were pretty decent. Uh, Final Fantasy thirteen sold over 1 million units on its first day of sale in Japan and had sold 1.7 million copies for the PlayStation 3 in Japan by the end of 2009. Uh, and keep in mind that that's only a couple of weeks because it did, re- it did release in uh, December of 2009. Uh, 1.9 million by the end of 2010. Uh, and as of 2017, so a little bit old, uh, the game has sold over 7 million copies worldwide on consoles. Uh, by April 2018, the Windows version has sold over 746,000 copies, according to SeamSpy. Those are uh, numbers from Wikipedia. So, pretty good selling game, pretty good reviewing game. So, good game, right? Podcast over, we're good. <laughs> uh, it's not that simple. Uh, so, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about our histories with the game. Um Tom, let's start with you. Uh, did you pick Final Fantasy thirteen up first day, uh, or did you come to it later? And what did you think? I did pick it. I think I either picked it up day one or week one, and I was um, yeah pretty hyped for it. Actually, I've got to say, I, s- same level of of hype as I had for the Matrix Revolutions, and and that didn't turn out very well. I'm not <laughs> sure this turned out very well either. Um, although I have very mixed feelings on it now. Yeah, so I I, I picked it up um pretty quickly and and that was based on really loving Final Fantasy 12 um and 
uh, yeah, I I haven't. T- the weirdest thing, it's one of the Final Fantasy I just no inclination to go back to for nearly ten years, and then obviously. Um, I was supposed to be on this show. I subbed out. I subbed back in. I grabbed the game off Amazon for like a pound or something, and uh, and I put another sort of five six hours into it. Unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't get to the point where it quote unquote gets good. So um, I got all of those negative first impressions. I stored them up and I wrote all them all down for the podcast. And then unfortunately, I didn't. I had to kind of rely on some research and some reading and some YouTube to kind of. Um, temper that and remember that I really did like it the first time round, and I did a lot of Endgame stuff and uh, I remember farming Adamantoys which um, you know is a, a pain in the bum so I must have quite liked the game to kind of go that go that far into it so so yeah I believe I was day one if not week one. All right great um, so what about you Josh same thing or uh, have you were you you were you were born by the time this came out yeah right? I, I, yeah <laughs> this is the rare instance where I was actually born um, <laughs> um, so I, I was uh, 20 um, when uh, this game was coming out um, and I could not be actually I was 19 because uh, it came out in March so um, yeah I was 19 Um yeah, I could not be more excited for this game. Uh, it was easily the my most anticipated game coming out that, that year. And this was 2010. So we've got, you know, Bayonetta coming out. We've got Mass Effect 2. We've got Heavy Rain. Uh, like, <laughs> all sorts of, like, just 2010 is packed full of games. But this was the one. This was going to be my favourite game released this year. Didn't work out so well for me. <laughs> yeah, how do you, how do you feel about that? <laughs> um, um, I, my, my feelings on this game, because at first I was in denial. You know when you're really excited for something and you can't let yourself not like it? So it's like, oh, it's, it's not my favourite, but this bit. And then I went like into like a stage of like full on, I hated it. Like, it's the worst thing. And I feel like my feelings on it have matured. I still, overall, and we'll get into the nuances of it, still overall feel quite negatively towards the game. I don't have the vitriol that I did back <laughs> a few you know, a few years ago, but and we'll go into it. But um, I've been revisiting it. Um, I, I haven't played through the whole game again um, from start to finish, but I've been revisiting it through Let's Plays and watching cutscene compilations just to refresh my memory. And there there are parts of it that I think in isolation work really, really well, and there are parts of it that don't, but we'll get into that soon. I was going to go into my, uh, my uh, history with the game, which is probably the weirdest um but uh we actually have had um a slight change in plans um charlotte is back with us charlotte cuts how are you doing i am stressed as hell after all of my <laughs> fiddling about with my blue screen of death computer but i'm back and i am ready to talk about final fantasy 13 th- almost said 15 awesome. 13 <laughs> well, welcome. Uh, we are glad to have you back. And uh, why don't we just go ahead and dive right in? Uh, did you pick this game up at launch or uh, was it a little bit of a later thing for you? No, I didn't have a PS3 back in um, when it was launched. So this was one of those games I picked up really cheap at Computer Exchange. 
Um, and I kind of had my reasons for picking it up though because I'd already tried 10 and 12. Like I have no had no history with Final Fantasy before playing um, 10, 12 and 13 later on in life. And to be honest, I wasn't impressed with 10. Well, 10 grabbed me a bit more than 12 did, but neither of them really impressed me. So I thought, okay, maybe actually I like the Final Fantasy games that other people don't like. So I should try one that people don't rate very highly. <laughs> so I decided to pick up Final Fantasy 13. Um, I tried playing it. Um, we're gonna Obviously, we're going to get more into our um, opinions on specific parts of the game later on. But um, I tried playing it first time round. It didn't really grab me and I dropped it after two hours, which is nothing unusual for me in Final Fantasy games, unfortunately. Um, but then I picked it up again a couple of years later, pushed past the really difficult part that I just found really boring and actually started to have a really good time with it. And then I put it down like 20 hours in again and then I picked it up again for Kane and Rinse. And at the point that I dropped it, I didn't really drop it because I was losing interest. I dropped it for some other reason. So I had a really positive impression of it when I dropped it for the second time after 20 or so hours. And um, yeah, we're going to see what how my opinion evolved back when I finished it. <laughs> Interesting, because I we were talking a little bit in the green room beforehand about how uh, many people will say on the internet loudly in capital letters sometimes that... Um, it doesn't really get good until after about 20 hours. So it's it's really interesting that uh, that you were uh, very positive on it after about that same amount of time. Um, so I, oh boy, this is probably one of the games that I will not say that it disappointed me the most. I will say that I hyped myself up for it the most. Mm. Uh, I had a very strong connection to the Final Fantasy series by that point, uh, which obviously I still do. I've been on all of these podcasts um, to varying degrees with, uh, with each individual game in the series. But uh, overall, it was very much my thing. I uh, was looking forward to this game immensely. I purchased a PS3 for Final Fantasy 13. This was before they announced that it was also coming to Xbox 360. So that's something that um, I get teased about um, to this day. But um, I, I did, uh, I did, I did buy a Final Fantasy machine. Essentially, uh, there's a picture of me somewhere. Uh, I, I, I believe that uh, my friend Elaine has it um, because she would have been the one who was there with me uh, of going to Comic Con in New York uh, in I believe 2009, and it's essentially me standing in front of a Final Fantasy 13 poster just face palming because it has taken so long and I have been waiting for so long. Um, I also had, uh, I was doing uh, a different podcast at the time. Um, I was doing some other castle with, uh, with the aforementioned Elaine. Uh, and we had a listener send us a Japanese copy of Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. And the reason that they sent us the Japanese copy uh, was because it came with the Japanese demo for Final Fantasy XIII, which was not released in the West. So I actually played the demo couldn't understand any of it because I don't speak Japanese. Um, uh, so I played the Japanese demo uh, because I was just so excited for this game to come out. Uh, picked it up day one, played it immediately. Um, I 
think that I had convinced myself that I really loved it at the time. I don't hate this game. I will say that up front. I don't know that it. <laughs> I don't know that it is that it is or was necessarily worth all of the hype that I personally gave it. But um, yeah, that's that's where I'm coming from. I was coming from a very very high level of expectation. Uh, so that was probably my fault, but, um, just kind of so you know where I was, it, it was very much a thing that I was looking forward to, um, and very much a thing that, um, happened. So the scenario of this game is, I, I have heard people say that it is extremely confusing and I don't think that I agree with that. I think that the story itself is actually kind of straightforward. It's the trappings of the story that I think are convoluted. Uh, Tom, I think you mentioned um, the the proper nouns, the the, the capitalized words that, that continue. There's a lot of those. Uh, you get bombarded from the start yeah. with Falsy and Lucy and Cocoon and Pulse and all of these places and people and things that you are apparently supposed to know about, but it's, it's very much an in media risk type of thing. Um, the, the actual story is uh, you are involved with a group of people who have been turned into Lissy, which are um, uh, this type of person who has special powers. To, to really, really put it in a simplistic term. And you have a focus, which is a thing that you're supposed to do. If you don't do this focus, then you turn into a monster. If you do do this focus, then you get eternal life is what they tell you. You find out later what that means. But um, so you, you have a thing that you're supposed to be doing. Um, that's that's kind of the, the main gist of the story. That's, that's where you find yourself. Um, so what I'm interested to hear from, from you guys is when the, the game starts, uh, did you find it an effective way to kind of get into that world? Were you put off by the fact that they're really just laying all these terms on you without uh, any kind of easing in, which is particularly odd considering the way they ease you into the battle system, but uh, story-wise. Go ahead, Tom. It's 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 terrible. It's terrible, and it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, the, the, there are stories in the development of that they did do international fo focus group testing, but way too late in the process that they could actually act on it. And I would guess, I don't know, that that one of the pieces of feedback was would be like, "What the hell is going on?" Yeah. And uh, to steal an idea from someone else, if they had started like Final Fantasy VIII, so just a quiet day in Bodom with the characters having a nice time and everything's fine. The, 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 this sort of 13-day stretch that they keep flashing back to, perhaps if they'd started there and started from a calm point and then gradually explained where they were on Cocoon. Okay, what's Cocoon? Given some context, maybe even shown a map or two or just, yeah, anything like that. And then gone into the Purge and gradually introduced the idea of Falsy and like, oh, what's that big creature over there? Well, let me explain to you. But instead, they try and do the Final Fantasy VII in media res yeah, thing with the train yeah. and people falling off bridges and stuff, and and the the um, this resistance group, and then cut back to bits of the story. But they're throwing around these proper nouns. It it is is a horrible opening. It is really yeah. really terrible, basically, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And yet, you know, 
well shot cutscenes for the most part and some decent voice acting right from the start. So it kind of feels like a big expensive uh, thing and like you should kind of be able to get a gist of what's going on. But I'm sure most people were scratching their heads. Yeah, I, I think for me it's... Because they, it, I'm glad you brought up Final Fantasy VII because to me the opening so wants to emulate that momentum and pacing of the opening. It wants to to replicate that, but the the problem is there is so much information that the the player needs to know in order for what's happening to make sense. Whereas Final Fantasy VII, um, like because of the context of the scenario that you're thrown into, you can just kind of plonk people in because it's like, right, they're terrorists, they're eco-terrorists, big company, bad, evil company. I have evil companies in the real world. Relate to that. Okay, well, I'm good. Like a lot of that, a lot of that information that is necessary can be thrown at the player on the fly, on the fly because we have context for it in the real world. Like it's drawing from things that we already have context for whereas final fantasy 13 it has is these like weird you know sci-fi ideas that need explanation that need uh you know a thorough introduction and it doesn't do that effectively you do get that information later on but by the time you get that you're already kind of like baffled and frustrated by um hours of kind of not knowing what's going on the genius of seven was like it starts out with something that we all know and relate and can relate to and then starts layering the more fantastical stuff on top of that it's laser kind of grounded foundation and then introduces the weird stuff this goes all in straight from the word go and I think I think the reason it does that is because they really expect you to read the data logs. And I I had a lot of fun actually going through and reading the data logs and like getting into the world through reading. But you shouldn't have to do that. That should be optional. Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh. Yeah. I I never did much reading of the data logs. I appreciated that. Um. When you save and then reload your game, every time you load your game, you have kind of a little previously on segment where they give you a bit of a synopsis as to what is happening and you know i i I appreciated that because i am not the best always at keeping track of what it was that i just did in this game uh so it i i thought that that helped uh it it doesn't give you a lot of extra explanation which is something that uh, from what i understand the data logs are a little bit better at but uh yeah there's both of both seven and 13 start on a train but somehow (laughs) one of them is uh much more effective at kind of giving you an idea of what it is that's going on i by the time we get an hour or so into the game and people are fighting i still don't really understand why they're fighting or whether lissy are good or bad uh or what a fallacy is and why it's different from a lissy and then there's seeth which are another thing entirely and just it's 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 really cool how they set all of this stuff up. I just think that, uh, kind of to build off of what you guys are saying, it, I just think that it doesn't introduce itself particularly well. If this were a book, it'd probably be great. With the with the proper nouns, just mm. quickly on the difference between a text based Final Fantasy and a and a spoken you know dialogue based. In Final Fantasy VII, you know, they introduced Shinra and Ma- and Marco, Mako, however you want to say it. But when you're reading it, 
for some reason it well maybe it does feel weird but but it didn't to me the first time i played that game but with this when you're saying stuff like falsi and lissy and focus and ragnarok out loud and the voice actors are very for the most you know they're really good voice actors so they're so, but but it just sounds complete nonsense some of these words coming out in yeah. in the proper use in the sentence but they're such silly words as well like yeah falsi lissy seath they they're just silly words, but they're silly think, words you'd, you'd find in earlier Final Fantasies, but written down. Well, I, I think the thing for me is that, and, and I, I'm fully open if, if someone's going to say, actually, there's a literary reason why this is the case. But, you know, Falsi, Lassie, they sound so similar. <laughs> and what was great about, and, and I'm sorry, I'm bringing up Seven again, but like there's all these different camps and and factions in seven, but they have really distinct names, like soldier, the Turks, like the these different groups of people have very distinct names that are very memorable, and um you know exactly who people are talking about the moment that that group is brought up, whereas Falsi, Lassi, like they sound so similar and they sound so wifty wafty there's like right. Wait, what? What are the Falsi again? Are they no? Oh, right. Sorry, that's the Lissy. Like it, it allow the the way these words are constructed allows confusion that shouldn't be there. Now I know, like you know, the, the, there's probably a writer out there going, "Well, why can't you remember it? Like, <laughs> you know, why can't you just like get it right?" And uh, but like allowing that confusion to happen at all, I think is is a mistake of kind of. Um, educating your your audience. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about how the uh, characters and, in fact, the voice actors who um, portray these characters actually uh, lead into the story that they're telling. Uh, and before I do that, I want to go ahead and read uh, a piece of correspondence from our forum. Uh, I mentioned this briefly before, but if you would like to leave us uh, correspondence for uh, any of the upcoming issues, you can do so at canemrince.com slash forum. You can also email us, uh, the email address canemrince at gmail.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us. Uh, any of those social media channels that I mentioned earlier are fair game for you to let us know what you think. Uh, this is from the forum, and it is from Nix Blaster, who says, The thing I want to talk about the most personally is the story of Thirteen. I separate the story into two sections, the backstory and the character stories. The backstory that deals with the Falci, Lissi, and how they fit into the world is, for lack of wash, it comes across as confusing due to how quickly they throw terms and concepts at you at the beginning of the game, and it just seems even more convoluted as the game continues. The character stories, though, I found myself enjoying those more and more as the game progressed. I like how 13 has a core theme running through the game, something I found to be lacking in Final Fantasy XII when I replayed that for the show. It's a theme about choice and the fear and responsibility that comes with having free will. In the face of adversity, will you try to run away from your problems, or will you stand tall and face them? Will you try to do the right thing, even if it seems like everyone else is against you, and even if it means exposing yourself to more pain and misunderstanding? Or will you forego all of that and give in to anger and despair? All of the main characters in 13 struggle with these questions throughout the game as they try to get a handle on their newfound plight and the revelations they come across over the course of their journey. 
This inner struggle of the characters is highlighted by the summons of the game, which I couldn't help but chuckle and relate Sonas from the Persona series, playing to his audience here, their audience, <laughs> uh, as they first emerge when a character is at the height of their emotional distress. Overall, it's this part of the story that kept me interested in playing. I do think the story suffers a bit from how it's presented, as well as a very lackluster main villain and side characters, but overall, I still enjoyed it once it got underway. I feel the same way about the characters as I do about the story itself. At first, I really didn't like the characters, even though this time around, I knew they'd eventually turn around a new leaf. They just came across as too cringeworthy at the beginning, which is thankfully mitigated once the characters split into pairs for several chapters. It's around this point when you start learning where each character is coming from and watching how they interact with their partner that each of the characters started to grow on me. There are some touching moments of character development that I really like seeing, such as Lightning realizing the error of some of her teachings to Hope and becoming more of a thoughtful, mature woman, Hope growing into his own and making his own decisions, and Snow owning up to the consequences of his past actions. Some of the dialogue is really hokey, but it feels genuine for the characters themselves. As a cast, I think they work really well together, and it's nice to see some of their development show through how they interact with one another. Overall, I think the game does a good job explaining why these characters are here, why they remain there, and what they hope to achieve by the end. So there's six main characters, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna open it up. Uh, what I will say uh, before I start uh, before before I do so is that there's a lot of really talented voice actors in this cast. Um, the the super obvious one is Troy Baker, who uh, voices Snow. Which I mean, it, he's he's doing the Troy Baker voice. It's it's I, he does a fine job, but it's not anything super spectacular to my mind. Um, you all, um, but there's also uh, Ali Hillis uh, who voices Lightning, and I. I did not know this until I started researching for this show. Also voices Liara in the Mass Effect games. Uh, so if, uh, if you recognize her, uh, then that, that would be why. Uh, there's Laura Bailey uh, and um, uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who are very prolific voice actresses, voicing uh, Sarah and uh, Nora, who is Hope's mother, respectively. Uh, and then we have uh, Reno Wilson, who voices Saz. Uh, I don't know that he's done much voice work before. Um, I didn't recognize his name, but uh, once I started looking him up, he, uh, he, you would probably recognize him from um, live action acting uh, in many things. Uh, and uh, Rachel Robinson as Fang, uh, who, again, has not done a, a ton of voice work, I don't believe, but um, she does a spectacular job, I believe. Uh, Georgia Van Coylenberg is the name of the voice actress for Vanille, who, well, she she definitely voices Vanille. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I just, I, I wanted to get that in there that um, for them and uh, for some of the, uh, the antagonists as well, uh, just really talented cast. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say, you guys talk about, uh, let's, uh, Charlotte, actually, let's go to you. Um, what did you think about, did you have a similar reaction? Did you like any of these characters from the start? Um, go for it. I warmed to Lightning as mm. time went on, but I really didn't like her at the beginning. Like, she was very classic anime Sundere yes. character, and I can't stand those characters. So it was really hard for me to, especially because for a long time, I actually kind of didn't, Maybe for an, a few hours, I didn't realize you could swap out the mm -hmm. the leader in the team. I presumed you had to keep it as lightning, so I, I kept playing with lightning uh, for quite a while, um, and I didn't like her at all. the The one character I really gelled with was Fang. I thought Fang's character was level headed and didn't have any of the annoying stereotypical tropes attached that the rest of the characters did. Like I never warmed to Snow because he was just like a 
yeah, barrel punching, meathead the entire time, pr- pretty much the entire time. And his whole relationship with Sarah, I never really warmed to it. You didn't really see enough to really feel anything, I thought. So yeah, and I, I pretty much like Hope was kind of whiny and Vanille didn't annoy me perhaps as much as other people, but she, I couldn't understand why people were annoyed. So really, I had nothing to hold on to until Fang came into the picture, and then I, I just loved Fang. She's, she's just an awesome, strong Best female girl. character. Uh, Josh, what about you? Yeah, I, um, I, I think this is going to be the Fang uh, uh, fan yeah. hour, <laughs> uh, but like, I, I think Fang definitely is the, the standout. Um, uh, Rachel's uh, vocal performance is just like really charismatic and. Uh, just the, the the use of an Australian accent um, in a Final Fantasy game is a really cool choice. In the same way that um, in uh, Twelve, Fran's um, mm. Icelandic accent was like, oh, that's cool to see in a in a uh, in a localization for a for a Final Fantasy game. Hearing Australian um, for the first time was just like, hey, wow, that's a that's a cool choice, and it makes her stand out. Um, from other characters in the past, I think the tri- the uh, the uh, the abrasive trifecta of Vanille, Hope, and uh, Snow is pretty bad. Um, I I feel for for um, Georgia though, uh, for Vanille. Um, I've been looking into some of the behind the scenes for this game, and it sounds like the the voice direction for this game was um, really they made some unusual choices. So like with we talked about in Final Fantasy twelve where um they uh they they the localizers were given a bit of license to kind of find their own voice for the characters and 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 write in a slightly different style and and let the voice actors be you know be the characters that they wanted to be their their interpretation of the the character whereas with this it sounds like they were very much trying to replicate the vocal performances of the Japanese voice actors. And so Georgia was instructed to make all these weird noises that were did not do not come naturally to a English speaking um voice actress. And uh and and just I my actually heart broke for her in this interview that I was listening um uh, listening to of her where she just started doing all these weird noises and just started laughing because she realized how ridiculous it was. Um so um yeah, I, I do think you know like some criticism is leveled at some of these characters and their their voice acting, but I do think um I don't, I'm not sure it's actually the cast's fault. I think there was some decisions made um, behind the scenes that led to that. Um, Lightning, um, as the lead, I have to say I felt was pretty dull. From I never disliked her, um, but I just didn't find her particularly engaging. Um, it felt like they were very much trying to make, um, and this is a very reductive way of viewing it, but I can't, I can't help but feel like this is exactly what was discussed when creating her. How do we make Cloud but a girl? Like, so far, I, and I haven't played 15, 12 has easily the strongest um, English voice cast for me. And just coming from that to this just feels really disappointing. But it's overexposed, isn't it? Like, the design, the, you know, the, the technology and the tools problems they had, and then they ended up with this very linear 
kind of first half of the game or whatever, so that the the pacing is like, you know, run along a corridor, maybe have a cutscene into a fight or just a fight, and then a cutscene, and then you save, and then again. There's so many cutscenes early on, and they're pretty much they feel so similar. This dramatic thing of like someone says dramatic and the other person turns away, and and it's it's really fatiguing. And I think that's the biggest problem. Um, it it ends up to me. There's quality work going on here, and obviously it all looks amazing. The hair is amazing, but it's just that this it's just these people walking along a corridor, five or six of them, and then whatever grouping it is stops, has a little dramatic conversation, and then they carry on. And like, how many times can you actually s- sort of endure that before it, you know, all of the cracks start to show? And like going back to the, the the voice work in terms of like the little noises that they make, I actually would go as far to say some parts of the localization were just a failure because I noticed I had Vanilla in my party a lot because I liked using her as a healer and saboteur. And I noticed uh-huh. whenever she got hurt, she would squeal. And the, the how she sounded when she squealed, it sounded as though she was dead. So I was getting an audio cue to say Vanilla's dead, not dead, um, needs a phoenix down, however you say it in Final Fantasy speak. And so I was I was looking at my thing thinking, oh shoot, I need to use a phoenix yeah. down when actually she just lost a bit of health. All right, so we have a couple more uh, pieces of correspondence, both from the forum here. Um, this is from Classic Tales 55, who says, I've played and beaten Final Fantasy 13. My save informs me that I spent 70 plus hours on it. I remember virtually nothing. No idea what the plot was, who the villain is, no bosses, no memory of any important character or story moments. For an entry in one of my favorite series, this is quite alarming. I only have vague recollections of walking through metallic corridors, reading backstory in numerous data logs, and a big green open area towards the finish. Something about tattoos or branding? I think there's a floating planet or a moon on a chain. I might be thinking of Sonic CD, though. Mostly I recall disappointment and no attachment to the characters while playing. And then from young Steve, we have, I didn't play Final Fantasy uh, 13 at launch, instead electing to borrow it from a friend a year or so after launch. And even then, it was more out of obligation to play all the games in the series than any desire. My first thought was that the graphics were absolutely jaw-dropping. Even now, I still give it that. The visuals and animation are an absolute treat, par for the course with Square Enix games, but not enough to hold up a 50-hour RPG on its own. It was around the time that Snow and Vanille come into the party that I felt like something was really amiss. I just wasn't connecting with these characters. The battle system felt monotonous, and the areas I was traversing were very linear. It's just a tutorial area. It's just a start, I told myself. It'll open up into something bigger that'll introduce new mechanics. Sadly, it seems that while the drip feed of new mechanics was kind of correct, the exploration consisted of various ways of holding up with the occasional nudge or left or right to spice things up. And then hope wandered into the story and cemented in my head that I really didn't like a single character here. Saz's search for a son I chalked up jokingly to bad parenting. Vanille was an annoying cloud cuckoo lander without the extreme animation that her counterparts in other games had. Snow I saw as a cringeworthy jock character with all the charm of Sonic the Hedgehog OC. Some Sonic the Hedgehog fans here, I guess. Uh, and hope I found whiny, annoying, and rendered worse because you're forced to put up with him for such a large chunk of the story. Fang and Lightning are the only minor saving grace, although Fang is simply introduced so late on you don't have time to find anything out about her, and considering how long you spend with Lightning, it's amazing how little personality she has and how little you learn about her by the end of the story. So if anything, it isn't their character that redeems them, but rather their lack of it. Oof. Yeah. 
So uh, we are not the only ones who had issues with the character development in the story. Um, But it does seem that uh, people had slightly more happy things to say. And um, I'm I'm glad that we save this for after the uh, specific characters, because I suspect we will also have nice things to say. Uh, Much like uh, Steve Aaron, who says, I can still remember the opening hours of this game being absolutely blown away by the graphics and realizing, oh, my God, this is what Final Fantasy is going to be like from now on. No more blocky character models, no more pre-rendered backgrounds. I know 10 and 12 had already deviated from the old PS1 graphical format, but this was truly, truly next level. Sadly, 13 was guilty of peaking too soon. The first boss fight with the Scorpion Robot was miles better than the ultimate boss fight, and why I was fighting that I've had no idea, thank you plotline, but 13 will always have a special place in my heart for the potential of what it could bring to the Final Fantasy series, rather than what it was on its own terms. Um, so, I... I will lead in by saying that I think, uh, as I alluded to earlier, that uh, the look of Final Fantasy XIII holds up exceptionally well, uh, especially the version that I've played most recently, uh, which I haven't finished my playthrough yet, but I think I'm going to. Um, I'm in Chapter 11 of 13, which is where it, air quotes, gets good. Um, so I am playing the Xbox One version. Uh, I I think that it looks fantastic. I'm playing on a 4K TV, albeit not on an X, and it just, I still think that this is, I I have played way more recent games that do not look this good, I will say that. Hmm. It, it looks fantastic on a, on a yeah. PS3. Just the the, the 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 starting PS3 version. I think that the cutscenes on the PS3 version are uncompressed, um, which is why, so I'm told, it never came to PSN because mm. the download would be too big for those scenes. But it's just so gorgeous. And it's not just the cutscene graphics. Uh, the animations are fantastic and and the environments, but the, the lighting effects like Bloom and, and things like that, the skyboxes, the costumes, the hair is amazing. Some of the facial stuff is brilliant. Um, just the overall art design of the bosses and the enemies and the, these these strips of light everywhere and the different colors of light. And um, it's, it's, yeah, jaw-dropping. It totally blew me away the other week and, I, and the first time around as well. And if you look at, you know, YouTube videos, if you haven't got an X, look at 4k and 60 frames and stuff versions of it um especially areas like uh, the orphan's cradle at the end just the design and the graphical execution is unbelievably detailed and intricate and yeah it, it's a stunner yeah they put a huge amount of work into the character models so for all of her annoyingness vanille is a lot of attention has gone into her and fang's outfits and making them distinctive from the outfits of the other characters because of their different origins. Um, what's really interesting is I, I feel like the the problem is I think they put so much effort into this part of the game that the rest of it sort of fell a bit by the wayside sometimes. Like they went so far that I think Lightning was in ads for Louis Vuitton. Like she was shown with oh, their yeah. handbag collection. Yeah. I don't know if this was after 13 or 13 too. But yeah, so they I feel like they put so much effort into the visuals that they probably kind of didn't invest as much in the rest of the game <laughs> as much as i you know my my memories of this game are kind of um tainted by my overall negative experience it's really hard to 
look at you know look at the game as it is with um and 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 just like especially that enhanced version on and on xbox x and not be impressed by the way the game looks um i think just both on i i think the character designs specifically the main cast are the standout for me i think lightning looks great i think fang looks great even the characters (laughs) i hate look great snow looks great Hope looks great. Vanille looks great. Like it's just a really strong visual designs for all of them. I think overall, though, um, and this is more like a a design thing rather than just how good it looks. I think um, that it's lacking that feel, like sense of culture that Twelve had. Like I think mm. if I'm talking purely in terms of um using art as a narrative device rather than just to make things look pretty yeah, every, everything looks gorgeous um, yeah yeah i think um 12 is more successful in kind of establishing that kind of feel like the em- you like the empire's iconography and their um design ethos um is really evident like the moment you see a character you're like he's from the arcadian empire that character's from from dalmasca there's a real sense of culture and history um that i think is missing from 13 but it's literally a major plot point that two of these characters are from pulse and you can't tell (laughs) no that yeah exactly yeah exactly like they they did they could be from anywhere yeah um but purely from a shallow Mm. like eye candy kind of perspective yeah Yeah. it's stunning to look at and you guys i mean whoever's played final fantasy 8 remembers um estar city and like Mm. that that is badly dated now really badly dated but i feel like this is the execution on on that kind of sort of futuristic clean um uh, uh pastel colors that that kind of vision of a city and technology and machines and things like that and that really yeah absolutely on a surface level that really appeals to me and, and i think it just looks um i mean the bosses make absolutely no sense whatsoever <laughs> as you but but you kind of if they're going to go over the top, I don't know. I don't mind that it's not as kind of cultured as Final Fantasy Twelve. If they're going to go over the top, a bit like Bayonetta or something, you know, Bayonetta 2 particularly, if they're going to go over the top, then just go all the way over the top. And they did. And I think there's so many standout designs in this game, especially bosses, especially the final boss is is just indescribably insane. Um, it, yeah, I think it's it's really impressive stuff. Yeah, I was I was reminded very strongly in some parts of Bayonetta um and and near also um just having when, when you do make it to Grand Pulse um some of the uh, you can see bits and pieces of older technology that are poking through kind of the overgrowth like you'll see you know traffic signals or you'll see uh buildings that have crumbled in places and and overgrown uh which hint at the fact that this maybe was not always this crazy wilderness but you know you you do still have the uh the bits um just growing around and and giving you that that kind of dual world feel uh that you get in something like a near or or even a bayonetta so 
we've kind of been talking around this, uh, so I I don't know how much we're going to have to say specifically, but um, let's go ahead and jump in about the linearity of Final Fantasy XIII. Uh, this is, I would say, one of the most common complaints that I personally saw when I was uh, researching uh, some of the notes for the game. It's also something that just anecdotally I've heard a lot of people say was their big problem with this, is that it's kind of just a you-run-straight simulator for the first 20 hours at least. Did you guys have that experience as well? Uh, and, and did you mind? Here's the thing. Um, revisiting the rest of the series has kind of reframed how I think about 13. Um, I, I was mentioning in the green room that uh, revisiting Final Fantasy X was incredibly mm-hmm. um, enlightening um, in kind of viewing, the, you know, the trajectory, uh, the, the the journey this series has taken, um, because. As much as, you know, 13, um, rightly or wrongly, gets leveled this criticism a lot, but I don't think, like, you, if you're looking at the series as a whole, you cannot fairly say that 13 was, you know, was the originator of this kind of design. Like, I think if you go back to Final Fantasy X and play that game again now, you're, you see this, the you know, the seeds of this no, starting earlier, there. No, earlier, Final yeah. Fantasy Four to a degree, yeah. and also Final Fantasy Nine. I I didn't really like the 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 way Final Fantasy Nine went for quite now, a lot of he, the beginning of the game. Here's here's the thing though, and this is this is what I think is the problem with the game, is that yes, it's very very linear, but also there's just no variety in the kind of experiences that you're having along that linear line mm. what, you know final fantasy and i'm glad you brought up final fantasy 9 like final fantasy 9 does suffer from a very kind of straight line uh, journey for most of the the you know the the first half of that game however it is changing things up constantly mm. like you've got um new uh you know character classes to deal with you've got a uh, big like dramatic story events happening at a very you know he- you know decent clip um yeah. you've also got like mini games in there you've got like changes of pace like things will go slow right the you know right the way down and yeah. then speed right back up again and very this- hand handcrafted and and yeah and yeah and 10 and 10 actually does the same thing like you'll notice that just at the point where you're getting bored of the combat Blitzball, you know. I know. I know <laughs> people aren't big bad, fans of actually. I, yeah, I know. I know. But like having something there, just having a change at all, even if it's on a linear line, is so important for player engagement and keeping them on board. The problem with thirteen is not the linearity; it's the fact that it has you do the same things over and over and over again for hours and hours and hours and the story beats are dragged out like the like the revelations don't come at the clip that they come at nine in Mm. nine or ten they just like drawn out mysteries and um 
and there's not really any gameplay variation. I like. I wish there was Blitzball in Final Fantasy Thirteen. I wish there was something to break it up and like vary the vary up the pace. But there's nothing. It's just the same kind of scenarios over and and the characters in terms of the way they play. And this is something we'll get onto later. I don't feel like they 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 behave differently enough. Um, mm. In terms of their dynamic, in the same way they do, definitely do in ten and nine, that it fe- it's exciting enough when a new character is introduced. It's just it's the it's what I describe it as is like it's a flat line. It's monotony. It's it's just this very um, uh, me like just there's just no kind of um there's just no respite from the core um experience that it's it's getting across it's just the same pace and the same style for god knows how long like 20 hours before it finally changes up the pace and uh that's what i think people are latching onto i think yeah. the linearity is being unfairly criticized here it's more than that it that's a development problem in it isn't it i mean that's yeah. we you know that this game had a tortured development that the crystal tools engine gave them no end of jip but also management you know communication lines from directors and teams and things like that and whilst you wouldn't necessarily know that from that it seems like the art team had all the time in the world to come up with all this crazy stuff and also i would say the battle team had time to kind of really refine something fun to play but but they just they had to for whatever reason it feels like they they had a very strict deadline once they actually had to get down to it and they're like right we don't have time to make it as sakaguchi once said about final fantasy an everything game uh we only have time to make this incredibly linear thing and a wider area near the end uh let's just do the best we can with that so it feels like that that design decision to make it linear I suspect was uh, a, you know a symptom uh, a casualty of the development process. I missed the towns. Like I there are no towns, there are no shops. You see some of them in uh flashbacks um to the the 13 days walking up, but you don't ever get to actually walk around a shop. You are always in a dungeon of some kind. And you do your shopping at the save points and you do all of your upgrading at the save points. And I I did not think that I would miss that, but I did. Um, mm. So I... I mean, 12, the, the difference there is like 12 was rich with like MMO levels of so much kind of overwhelming, wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't necessarily need that much. I, I liked that, but I... I I would have been happy with less, let's say that. Uh, yeah, I um, I do not have a problem with linear games. I really don't. I actually, in some instances, prefer at least a degree of linearity because it makes it easier for me to check things off. I, I, I like to complete things. I'm a completionist in games like this. I like to do all of the hunts. I like to do all of the the side quests and everything. And in a situation where it's a very linear game, I like the feeling of progress that it gives me when I have completed whatever that line is leading me to. Um, But I do understand that it's not really what the series is known for in large part, and I understand why people would have been looking for that and might have been disappointed if they didn't get it. Um, 
Charlotte, uh, what do you think about the linearity? Any uh, any additions? I didn't mind the linearity too much. I think it became more obvious to me when people talked online about how, oh, when you get to chapter such and such, I think it's chapter 11, most people say, oh, wait until you get to chapter 11 and it'll could become wide open. The problem is that what they're talking about is monsters that the chances are you're going to be under-leveled for the vast majority of them. So it's more like after-game content. And the the idea of side quests is more, there is a singular chain of side quests <laughs> yeah. that you can follow. And if you're not interested in that, then sorry, you're just going to have to follow the, the straight line of the story. And I, I kind of wasn't because it was just jumping from seeth to seeth and like slaying a monster for them yeah so I, I did a handful of them but i wasn't compelled to do all of them so yeah the rewards the I rewards mean, are not that great so yeah I, I i agree with you it's it's not the most compelling thing especially in the series that uh, for better or for worse does tend to inundate you with side quests <laughs> uh, especially in the later entries as I understand it, the Platinum is a real chore as well. I believe there's a trophy called something like Lawmaster, where you have to level up all the weapons and accessories, and it's just because Gil is quite hard to come by in this game because mm-hmm. of the way it's structured. It is an absolute, you know, real torturous, torturous Platinum. I remember doing a fair amount of endgame stuff, but I'm pretty good at just quitting, you know, just being like, you know what, I, I'm not going to do that much grinding i'm gonna do some grinding and then when i feel like i'm done i'm done and i felt like the end game content for this game was quite enjoyable and enjoyable enough to do some but definitely not enjoyable enough or varied enough to kind of stick at it for a hundred percent or something like that so let's uh let's move along with a couple more pieces of correspondence from the forum uh rob 25x says i went into final fantasy 13 not expecting it to be all that great having on ebay not long after launch and hearing a lot of negative things about the game not long into the adventure i decided to skip all the cutscenes and just go with the gameplay i fully completed the game (laughs) twice now but could never bring myself to watch the whole story over eight hours of video i enjoyed the game mostly up to a boss barthandalus that regenerated full health which caused me to rage quit i later returned and managed to finish the adventure upon finishing the story and returning to the beautiful main area of the game grand pulse to start side quests the game really impressed me with its amazing paradigm battle system not the best final fantasy game i've played but i would be very happy to do it a third time on my pc if my machine could handle it it's an interesting uh, experience that I don't know that any of us really had. Um, so, hmm, cool. Uh, Ralamandastron from the forum says, uh, that's my overriding memory of the game anyway, frustration, which is a shame because I wish it wasn't a frustrating game. I don't think it had to be. The setting is not just beautiful, but brilliant and fascinating. The brief period of exploration in Grand Pulse is joyful and rewarding. At its core, the paradigm switching combat system is a fun idea. The first time you face each enemy combination is generally exciting. The Crystarium is a moderately compelling iteration of the sphere grid. The music is often wonderful. But of course, it is frustrating. Why don't they let you interact with the setting? Why make the town so full of life and have you just run through them and shop at machines? Why make you wait so long to explore? Why make you do the same battle so many times, even after, you, even after you've perfected it? Well, welcome to Final Fantasy, I guess, but, you know. <laughs> An opportunity was here for a game I would have loved. The bits between the frustration, at least, I will remember fondly. Um, so we touched on this a little bit, but um, let's talk about the music. And Tom, I'm going to set you loose in just a second. I just want to mention this one thing. Um, 
Yes. Uh, which is that, um, as I said before, um, Uematsu-san really did not have like anything to do with uh, the music in 13 at all. Um, I'm sure it's very difficult to get out from under his shadow, but I think that the direction that they went with the new composer, well, new, he's not a, a new composer, but new uh, as a lead composer for the Final Fantasy series, Masashi Hamazu, um, I, I think that it works out very well for this setting and for this game. Um, Tom, you are our music guy. Hit hit us. <laughs> I, I quite I quite like that there's no Uematsu because I got to the end of Final Fantasy fifteen, no spoilers, but they play the Final Fantasy theme and I felt like it was completely unearned. And like they were trying to trick me into kind of liking this because it's a Final Fantasy rather than it being a better game. Um and uh, Masashi Hamatsu was one of the co composers on Final Fantasy ten. He actually did some of my favourite pieces from that game, and that's when there was kind of too much work for Uematsu to do and then he went freelance and there was some friction there and Sakaguchi left and all of that. So um, Hamatsu's classically trained and he, he's kind of a more angular composer is a kind of better way of describing it. He's coming at it with sort of orchestral richness and theory and he can write a decent melody as well But I, uh, and there's some fantastic melodies in this score but it's kind of musical textures that he's as interested in. Like there's some big um, orchestral stuff in this game, some crazy choral stuff, especially for the, the final boss, like really out there um, stuff. But the, the, my favourite thing about it is how electronic it is, uh, how much uh, sort of pure electronica and chill and trance and um, ambient music there is, which sort of suits the, the, like we said, the kind of gorgeous art and the futuristic art uh, on a surface level some people don't like the use of vocals in this game there's a couple of more backgroundy songs with kind of airy vocals and it's very interesting this was being developed or or or, or what a game that came out a few months later was near and of course uh keichi akabe's score is is much loved for kind of having backgroundy breathy female vocals but um i recommend if anyone felt like the final fantasy 13 music passed them by a bit maybe check it out it's all on uh, spotify now there's a couple of songs dust to dust and mysteries abound just really gorgeous chilled out kind of um ambulant uh, ambient uh, electronica a bit like blade runner um lots of those vibes uh, and also i love the the um archlight step this sort of big main open area has a fantastic mm. theme to it cool i really like the jingles in the crystarium like the little um, little two or three second tunes that would play whenever you click on the Crystarium for a character. They were all very distinct and it really, I don't know, it may, the, the, just the sort of like the sound effects going on in the Crystarium gave me this feeling that I was really leveling up each individual mm. character. Quite enjoyed that. It's worth noting as well, there's some acoustic um, live recordings, there's some jazz in here that's really, really cool. There's a track called Can't Catch a Break, which... I seem to remember might be a Chocoboo theme or something like that, or uh, um, but it's proper jazz by proper musicians, and there's some guitar versions and, and live piano versions as well that just add this richness to the whole thing. Except that the melodrama is often underscored by piano, so I can understand why people would get a bit fed up after the fiftieth kind of, you know, this kind of heightened anime melodrama, and then this tinkly piano comes in with exactly the same melody every time. It, it definitely. You 
could level the accusation that that the music has to do a lot of dramatic heavy lifting uh, and also trying to paint in some of the colours of the story and the emotions of the characters. Uh, well, John Bash from the forum agrees, saying uh, Masashi Hamazu did some really masterful work, especially with the orchestral tracks. And although they stuck out a bit, I love the acoustic jazz tunes as well, especially the second chocobo theme, despite the melody being strangely tweaked. The electronic stuff could be a bit obnoxious, though, especially when combined with vocals. It did absolutely nothing for me at best and could be profoundly irritating at worst. So bit of a bit of a, uh, a combination there. Uh, some agreement, some disagreement, which uh, is great. We like varying opinions uh so we've talked a uh, a bit about uh how you develop your characters which is uh the crystarium um but we haven't really talked about the mechanics of it so uh the crystarium uh functions in a very similar way i would say to uh the sphere grid in final fantasy 10 um where Instead of having uh, specific spheres to fill in uh, specific nodes, you gain points from the battles that you fight, uh, which then allow you to build up to certain uh, nodes on a... uh, It's not exactly a grid. It's um, just kind of a constellation of bits that you you pump points into until you get uh, to the... Uh, ability or the stat upgrade that you are looking for and um, I actually found this very satisfying I like this kind of system where rather than just getting experience points which then translate into levels which then give you uh, whatever stat upgrades come with that level you kind of get to uh, you might not be customizing your character exactly as much as you think you are, but it at least gives the uh, the impression that you have a little bit more control over things than uh, than you might otherwise if, if it was just kind of a straightforward leveling system. Um, did you guys like the Crystarium and uh, this type of uh, character development, or do you prefer just kind of the uh, the ones that you don't have to mess with quite as much? I really liked it. So, um, so one one of the uh, commenters on in the forum, I think, said that it w- it did come across as very linear. And I feel like towards the end, when I was kind of struggling with a few boss battles, and I was I was finding out how to actually best defeat them, and it was like, oh, you need to get to this point in the Crystarium. And then I realized, really, it is kind of funneling you into developing specific skills for um, each character. Um, so. There is a bit of variety in terms of, oh, I can rush ahead and try to get like favor skills above maybe getting more HP or getting more magic or strength points. Um, but if your aim is to max out the Crystarium, then you're inevitably going to do the same things as other people are going to do if you try to get everything. So I feel like it, it kind of gives the illusion of variety at the beginning, but towards the end, when you're completing the Crystarium, obviously you're you're all going to tick off the same things which is kind of good in a way because it's kind of hard to mess up the crystarium <laughs> yes. too bad but on the other hand it's um yeah like i say not much variety once once you mm. get towards the end game josh it felt very similar to mm. the the sphere grid in final fantasy 10 even uh, and that that was very I mean, until you got to the point where you could start branching out into other people's sphere grids and all of that stuff, it did also feel pretty, uh, you know, 
linear in Final Fantasy X, but I think this is even more so. Um, it, it, I, it was fine. It was functional, um, and it did the job. But um, I, uh, I prefer the license board in twelve. Yeah, it does. It does have. <laughs> it's actually quite close to the sphere grid when you think about it that way, because you you do you you start out with one uh, roll per person. Uh, and, and I'm going to go into the paradigm. We're going to go into the paradigm system here in a minute. But uh, you go, you start out with kind of one roll per person, and then it expands to two rolls per person. And by the end, you have all of the rolls available to all of the people. But you can still see that they are funneling you towards specific roles for specific people. Like hope is never going to be a commando, no matter how hard you try. I mean, you you can, but you would have to spend a very long time getting him squished which I, I while that does seem sort of appealing in some ways uh it's probably not something you want to really do um but yeah it is it is there's a lot of final fantasy 10 dna in this game i would say uh tom what about you yeah. uh and the crystarium i have absolutely zero <laughs> opinions about crystarium which is me saying ever which is me saying something about it fair enough um your Development as a character is separate from from the development of your uh, weapons and accessories. You get one weapon, and to start with, you get one accessory, which can be developed uh, through your um, almost said sphere grid uh, through your crystarium, which will open up uh, in in certain places the ability to equip more than one accessory at a time. Uh, you can also upgrade your weapon and your accessory uh, accessories uh, through the spoils that you get. Largely, you can purchase them, and you can also get them from uh, battles. It's the spoils that you get from fighting monsters. Um, I never really figured out... I'm sure that there is a way to min-max your upgrade points, and because sometimes when you put a, uh, a, a material onto your weapon... It will say, hooray, now you will get 1.5 times the experience points for everything you put on there. And then sometimes it will just give you a lot. So I, I don't really know how you're supposed to figure that out. Because as far as I can tell, you can't like inspect the materials that you're using and see what they're going to do. I mean, you, you will see what they are going to uh, give your weapon, but they don't like give you any kind of additional properties. They just give you experience points. Um so I had some mixed feelings about this system because I like to level things up, but also it the progression seemed pretty linear as well. Um, did anybody really like the accessory or the weapon upgrades, or was it just kind of a thing that you had to do? I remember the latter. The latter yeah, yeah. I, I remember late game, like using guides and stuff. I remember some of the upgrade materials being super, super expensive uh, when gear was hard to come by. But other than that, I just it's just not a battle system. Uh, sorry, not the battle system. It's not an upgrading system that sparks any joy for me compared to some of the other games. So throw it away, Tom. <laughs> 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 ha -ha! <laughs> yeah, I just did it because I thought I had to. And um, I got pretty... But the thing is, I got pretty late in the game without even bothering with any of it. It was only when I started reading through guides and people were like, oh, I've upgraded my my weapon that's you you get late game to like the star and i'm like oh my gosh what have i done <laughs> so I, I ended up spending a lot of time on upgrading and i'm not entirely convinced that it did that much it definitely helped it pushed it gave me that extra edge but being 
having everybody up to max capacity towards the end game wasn't really necessary. Mm. I have a feeling there's a bit of Stockholm syndrome going on with this game that the straitjacket of you know the beginning of the game slash half of the game slash two thirds of the game means that if you fight through that to get to the more open area and you are any kind of min-max or completionist, you sort of dig your heels in. You're like, right, I am going to get the best stuff in this game if it kills me. And But but again, with no like card games to play or Chocobo racing, there is some Chocobo stuff, um, but but that's like the only other side quest. And then there's the hunts, which is just more of the battle system. Now, if you enjoy the battle system, that's that's pretty fun. And you don't have to go through quite the same shenanigans as Final Fantasy XII. But yeah, it 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 feels like thin pickings in a way. I seem to remember feeling quite worn down with the with the end game stuff. Well, speaking of the battle system, thank you for that lovely segue, because that's what I want to talk about next. Uh, I do like the battle system in this game once they let you actually use it, which doesn't happen for a while. This is why, uh, side note, this is why I've been pushing so hard for Final Fantasy XIII 2 show, because they let you use the battle system right off the bat, and that's great. But um, in this game, it takes you a little while. Uh, it, uh, It is called the Paradigm System. And uh, we, we talked about the Crystarium and how you develop your characters into different roles. Well, what the Paradigm System does is it allows you to construct different combinations of these roles. So you can have uh, a Sentinel, which is basically a tank character, um, who might be paired up with a uh, Ravager, who is a kind of a, a, a damage dealer, and a Commando, which is a different kind of damage dealer. Uh, and... In the middle of the battle, you might discover that you need to heal. So you can pull your trigger and you can swap to a different paradigm, which might be a, uh, a tanky character. So the, the commando, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the sentinel plus a medic plus a, uh, another damage dealer. Uh, and main loop that I particularly found satisfying was being able to react to the situation that you uh that you find yourself in in any particular battle and having a deck of paradigms that kind of were built for handling whatever mm. situation it is that 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 you need at that time it, it makes it like a fast fun puzzle game doesn't it like with those tough bosses where and, and because the penalty for death is just just mm. retry it you know, and you can even restart it mid-boss. It's like trying to figure out that puzzle of each boss, I think, would appeal. It, it's going to maybe put off people who like turn-based and, cho- you know, very slow choice-based things. But if you do enjoy that thrill of getting it right, or I think that's a, a, the game's main strength. The thing that I liked most about it um, is how... Um, it uses the the cla- the classes, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. The paradigms like uh, synergist and uh, saboteur. So, like um, in uh, previous Final Fantasy games, you did uh, have the option to kind of play. Twelve is a great example, actually. You did have the option to kind of uh, make a character kind of uh, specialize in debuffing or buffing party members. But you will prioritize just standard healing or black magic over that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe to your detriment in some cases. I think there are some buff spells that 
um, really, really overpower you in in certain Final Fantasy games, but you just kind of naturally are drawn to the more kind of basic, make my health bar bigger, make his health bar lower style abilities. And I think the way the paradigm system lets you kind of like, right, let's just focus on getting his uh, defense down. Let's just focus on getting our damage up and then the moment we're all like charged up and they're charged down, fl- you know, fl- switch everyone. Whether it like if I had like Fang and uh, and Lightning in the same party and and Vanille, I just you know switch Vanille to Medic and then those two would just be full on attack mode. And then the moment those buffs kind of fade away and debuffs fade away, I'd switch back again. And it was just this, like, constant, like, flitting back and forth between those two modes of buffing and then attack and then buffing and then attack. And it- and, it, and I think, when, when, you know, once the game lets you do that and experiment with that stuff, it's a really nice rhythm. It's a really appealing loop mm. um, that the game um, gets you to get get into. I just don't... I cannot forgive the game for taking so long to get to that like i think it's it's inexcusable but why why did you just not introduce this right from the word go can i defend but, defend hey, it yeah. a little bit because i only played yeah. five hours this this time through but because i know about the stagger system and you know yeah. using magic to get it up but you have to use either saboteur or attacks to slow down the the stagger falling away um yeah. i was actually having some tactical fun with it you know, pretty early on in the game. Well, okay, four hours in. Not not early by most games, but relatively early for the criticism people give this game. I think if you're playing it a second time, you can start having fun earlier, even with just two characters in your party. And you get that that thing of like, um, it's a bit like, I don't know, an army attacking the walls of a castle. And then when you stag them, it's like there's a hole is blown in the wall of the castle. And suddenly you're like switch to all commandos or whatever and everyone pile on and get as much damage in as possible that's a that's a sort of a thrill that you get in almost most battles i I find that really refreshing compared to past um like especially something like final fantasy 9 like really turgid turn-based stuff yeah i i understand that since this is a battle system that most people are not likely to have experience with up to this point that they would need to have a period of tutorialization or, uh, you know, it, something to that effect. But it just feels like it goes on for way too long for me. Um, I I think that may <laughs> it's got the Zelda problem, right, of the later Zelda games where they are saying, hey, you can open this chest. Hey, this is a rupee. Do you know what that is? It's a rupee. It gives you money. It, it You know, it... it this is how you Z target. Like it, it has that kind of holding your hand a little bit too long. Um, and I think that could have been cut down. I, I think that you could have struck a balance there and they just didn't. Um, that, that, that was the era of games though, wasn't it? You know, games back then were much more mm-hmm. handholdy as something to do with, you know, HD, the cost of HD development and then Japanese developers having a, trouble with that but even bioshock 2007 had this huge yellow arrow that just always tells you where to go and 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 but the the most interesting contrast is if you think about demon souls which comes out 
was it 2009? 2009. 2010? You compare Demon's Souls and Final Fantasy 13, and it's just what a stark kind of thing about, you know, trusting the player and open design and customization of builds and things. I mean, it's, it's night and day. And I think, you know, if you found Demon's Souls sort of intimidating for that reason, then maybe you'd, in, you'd enjoy Final Fantasy 13 for holding your hand that long. But I'm sure a lot of people yeah. don't. I, I think in that, you know, bringing up Demon's Souls is interesting because I agree with you. This is a time where where developers tended to go on the handholdy side of things. But, like, you compare those two games, which game had the bigger cultural impact? As, like, speaking now in 2019, which game had the bigger impact? I tell you right now, it wasn't 13. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of games. Which had the much bigger budget and the brand name and still ended up. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody good. was yeah. expecting Demon's Souls at that point to be a hit. You know, they, they were expecting yeah, Final Fantasy thirteen to be a hit, so it had to be the safe one. Demon's Souls didn't have that kind of expectation on it, so it could take those chances, and it turned out that those were the right chances to be taking. Yeah. Very true, yeah. I mean, like, obviously hindsight and all that, but... <laughs> An intra- I, I had not made that connection, but yeah, that's uh, that was right around the same time. Hmm. You know, Nier comes out around the same time with its kind of empathetic core and the layered story and this sense of solemnity. Mass Effect 2 comes out with this cast of characters that people fall in love with quite literally um, and Fallout 3 and Skyrim around that time with their just sheer, sheer openness. It, you know, Final Fantasy 13 really, yeah, doesn't doesn't hold up well in contrast directly to those other RPGs, although it might be unfair to make the comparison. But big budget game, you know, long history of the series, you kind of looking back in a perfect world, they'd have made some braver design decisions i reckon i don't think it's a lack of bravery i think it suffers from a lack of trust Mm. it doesn't trust that the player is going to be on board with all the stuff that it's experimenting with like there and it's it's funny looking back because you're right like 13 is not the only game that's guilty of this but like games were were just not trusting players at all during this era just they they felt like they needed that guiding hand they needed to take things slowly 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 and it's funny looking back because it's such it's it's a fashion thing like it was very much just what was in vogue at the time and it feels so um it it doesn't it feels so alien now because that's very much the opposite of what the trend is now. Like Dark Souls has cast such a long and dark shadow over the industry now. And I, I know Demon Souls is the originator of those ideas, but let's be honest with ourselves. It's Dark Souls that kickstarted it all. Um, it, it's, it's changed the way designers feel like their relationship to the player needs to be. And it's less of this guiding hand and more of this invisible architect that uses uh, environments and just uh, context clues to get the player to to get on board whereas this is like the polar opposite it's just like we've got all these complex ideas and we don't trust you to learn them yourself at all yeah and even the data log you compare the data log to like the the soul series kind of putting that text in there well written text and the data log is quite well, well written 
But instead of just a list yeah. of articles to read, you know, Demon Souls is like, uh, you know, dotted about on these items and you piece it together yourself. Yeah. I didn't quite get the um, Eidolons. I, 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 I expected them to pull more weight than they actually mm-hmm. did. I, as, as long as if you use them when they were, you hadn't staggered the enemy, they didn't really do a whole lot. And even when you did, um, when they were staggered, they didn't necessarily one hit yeah. them. It, it, they felt kind of like they they would give you the edge, but they weren't quite didn't quite pack quite the punch that the whole cutscene and and you know the like lightning's idol on Odin's his um, cutscene was just so long, so unnecessarily long, and then he doesn't really do much even when you stagger. It's it might take off like a quarter of the health bar on the later enemies. Yeah, agreed. Um so each character as part of the storyline has to subdue their own summon, uh, which in this game are called Eidolons, and um I had a lot of trouble with those fights actually, um, because they are timed fights and basically they're gimmicky uh but each character only gets one uh they are specific to that character and you when you call them in battle it is more similar to yuna's summons in final fantasy 10 where they kind of become a party member and they are the one doing the fighting rather than you call them down they do one thing and then they go away uh which i actually agree with charlotte here um i do not think that they did a whole like they looked really cool um but other than that yeah not not so great there's a um an interesting interpretation of shiva in this game um and by interesting (laughs) yeah interpreted by interesting interpretation of shiva i mean that she becomes a motorcycle and kind of uh it's it's weirdly sexual in a way that I am not comfortable with. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, um, um, Josh and Tom, did you guys have any better luck with the Eidolons? <laughs> Honestly, no. I, I, I mean, you, you've you two have pretty much summed up my experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just you call them out, and you're expecting great things because I'm calling them out because it costs a lot of the. Uh, the meter that you build up uh, to to summon them, and you're expecting them to kind of be this last ditch effort, and then they don't really do a whole lot. So eh, they, it's, they but look that's cool. not to that. But that's I felt like in Final Fantasy 15, I totally missed. I think I the summons just didn't pop for me at all. And then I think back. I think Final Fantasy 12, I almost never used them. Final Fantasy 10, I didn't like that it was just one character i cannot remember a final fantasy game where i enjoyed using the summons and thought that they were very very useful i i definitely have but this is not one of those for me yeah yeah i i mean like you mentioned 10 there i think 10 actually probably has my favorite instance of the summons there's such a big part of the the series um yeah. yeah 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 But it just um, it, it does yeah, feel it's, like it's, it's a series long problem that they've for me that they well, that they've had trying to in, just trying to integrate it into the story and integrate it meaningfully into the mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Because there's always, I mean, end game stuff. There's always a spell, isn't there? There's always like de- in this one, I think it's Vanilla and Death that just kicks ass later on. Uh, and there's in Final Fantasy XII, there's some awesome kind of black magic spells, and then you 
go further back and there's there's black magic and all and all material final fantasy 7 it just i don't know for me i've just never felt like summons apart from this the initial spectacle that there was ever a really meaningful um use of them and yeah maybe 10 was the only one where it felt a bit more meaningful for me so we have a, a few pieces of correspondence all from the forum that we're going to go ahead and take a look at uh from young steve the final nail in the coffin was some 30 hours later on the final disc, finally getting to the open area that I'd heard so much about and quickly finding out that this consisted of maybe three or four open areas with nothing to offer apart from repetitive hunt missions taking you to the same places to fight palette swaps and beefed up versions of the same enemies, all the while listening to the main theme on Endless Loop. I endeavored to like this point and tried to 100% it, but after realizing the Crystarium was just a linear progression and with the hunts grinding down my patience faster than grinding my characters to higher levels, I decided to go down the path that may as well have been marked this way to the end of the game for a final straight line run, a giant space flea from nowhere final boss and an ending that I didn't get and didn't want to get. I don't want to say this about a series that meant so much to me in my teenage years, but I think that, graphics aside, Final Fantasy XIII is utterly abysmal and undeserving of the title. A notable, badly localized game from the high point of the series is There Ain't No Getting Off This Train We're On. Sadly, after bumbling through this lackluster, linear RPG, which seemed to have stripped out everything I loved about the series and cast it aside, I decided to step off the metaphorical train and onto the platform. Either this series had gone in a direction I didn't care for, or I'd simply grown out of it. Aside from the odd nostalgic 4A into Final Fantasy 6 VI and 9, I've never been back to the series since and really have no desire to. Yikes. Yikes. Well, that, uh, yeah, so apparently this it really did turn some people off. Um, but uh, some uh, differing opinion from Ashley CSTJ, who says, Final Fantasy 13 is a game that I like very much, that I have very fond memories of, and yet it's a game I struggle with. I'm not sure it has a complete, distinct identity of its own. Certainly, it's a game that I've never had any desire to revisit. Ask me to give a one-sentence pricey of any other mainline Final Fantasy game, and I probably could. Not 13, though. And I think this feeling of a missing identity is in large part due to the world not feeling complete, in a way. I still dream of Fisherman's Horizon and Balaam Garden from Final Fantasy VIII, of Trino from 9, of Narsh in Final Fantasy VI, of Aeos's Open Road in Final Fantasy XV. Admittedly, those are distinctive locations, but even with all its graphical beauty, and it is a very pretty game, Cocoon and Pulse don't hold up. Individual locations might look interesting and striking, but it doesn't make for a complete world. I don't know how the Sunlith waterscape exists in relation to Palampolum or what Hanging Edge is. This is partially due to the linearity of the game, but also because each chapter seems to end with the party getting in an airship and immediately crashing into a new biome. It doesn't help that, while the music as a whole is quite good, I don't really have strong memories of any location themes. Well, the Ashtas Masi theme, but that's memorable in the way ele elevator music is. Final felt so modular before. It's a shame I feel this way, because 13 starts off so well. The scenario seems to want to problematize and question the structures of the series. The Falci are what if the crystals had their own agenda. The Lissi are what if becoming a warrior of light was a curse. This is a fascinating premise, and in the beginning is a source of conflict that defines the cast. Snow reacts by trying to save Sarah. Lightning takes her frustration out on the government. Hope enacts his revenge plot on Snow. But as the game continues, I feel it defaults to a battle against a corrupt government and an angelic final boss. In the end, the Lissi don't escape their fate. They end up destroying the world. But it's all fine, apparently. So, uh... <laughs> some some uh, c conflicting <laughs> things in there. Um, 
that's a fantastic point about like the geog the geography. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of the world, it's isn't that's it? uh, I think a uh, a function of the linearity is that when you do stop in places, they're not really connected to each other. Or I mean, they are clearly, but they they don't feel very connected to each other. Um, all right. Uh, we also have from Ben. 77 million is that the correct number of zeros there i think it is all right ben 77 yep. million says as accurate as leon's comments on the 10 episode were regarding the inaccuracy of the perceived perceptions of final fantasy titles i feel that reasonable critical reception aside the continued consensus surrounding 13 warrants its supporters assuming a defensive stance more than any numbered entry since two Apologist minority aside, I most often find the game being dismissed as a corridor simulator with juvenile dialogue and a 20-hour tutorial. For as well-founded as these complaints are, I feel that were the writing in this game able to clearly define how its world worked and what its characters' goals were in relation to it, then its flaws would have felt much less glaring. Final Fantasy X masked its linearity through smart pacing and the interspersal of towns that functioned as breathers, but this game abandons the notion of pacing in favor of having its cast on the run for the bulk of the game. Under this conceit, the characters are rarely given opportunities to dawdle and must instead barrel forwards before they're apprehended by ill-defined adversaries. Much of the impetus to press on, however, is applied in cutscenes that more often than not obfuscate motives and destinations rather than offering reasons to continue. Again, while Ten was able to use its fish-out-of-water protagonist as a vehicle for exposition, Thirteen gives up on any attempt to integrate vital information into the narrative and dumps most of it into data logs. That Thirteen ends up as uninvolving as it does is testament to how integral the storytelling of previous entries had been to the experience, because almost none of this one ever truly resonates despite ostensibly ticking more boxes than it doesn't. My day one playthrough of Final Fantasy XV even had me missing a handful of franchise staples that were fully present and accounted for in Thirteen, like a bevy of gorgeous FMVs to bolster the drama, a spectacular, form-changing final boss, and respectable attempts at character arcs. In the end, it's a massive shame that the areas in which Thirteen falters hardest are the ones for which the Final Fantasy franchise has built itself upon excelling at. I reckon 13 is a handful of NPCs and a stern rewrite away from living up to its namesake. That's some really interesting mm. points in there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, before we start wrapping up, uh, I want to touch on uh, briefly in case, uh, hint, hint, we decide to do episodes on some of the side stuff next year or in the future at any point, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, we've uh, we referred... <laughs> Yeah, ten two thirteen ten two. two. <laughs> Lightning returns can rot. I don't care, but um, yes. Uh, so yeah, the, we we mentioned uh, a couple of times that there are in fact two sequels, direct sequels to Final Fantasy thirteen. Uh, there is Final Fantasy thirteen two, and there is Lightning Returns, which is not titled Final Fantasy thirteen three, but that's what it is. Um, I really like Final Fantasy thirteen two. I do not like Lightning Returns. That's uh. About all I will say on those uh, for now. Um, have you guys played them, and uh, did they affect what you think of this particular game at all? Tom, I know you mentioned a little bit uh, that, that you did play, I believe you said you did play 13-2, did not play Lightning Returns, yeah. I did, yeah, I completed 13-2, so I must have, I think it was a really enjoyable 5 out of 10, like I, like I said already. Good, like fun systems, more to more to do. Like you're 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 going back and forth between places and time zones and stuff. So it's 
it felt like more of a uh sort of traditional jrpg and I, I i did enjoy that i remember it having similar problems with they try to redeem hope's character and snow's character and they do different stuff there and it, it, it really falling flat with me and, and having a bad case of sequelitis which is sort of like expanding expanding on a story that did not need expanding on, uh, which, of course, you're going to do in a direct sequel. It's a bit silly to say, but I just remember some of the, the melodrama and the, the anime tropes that I'm not that fond of making a very strong return. Um, and also still the town's not feeling as kind of lived in or, or kind of um, immersive as something like Final Fantasy twelve. So it's a real mixed bag with thirteen two, and it's got this interesting ending it's got the, in fact the ending is in some ways that i won't say anything about it but it's in some ways the most interesting thing about the game um but not so interesting that it maybe play lightning returns and i dare anybody to read the um the wikipedia plot <laughs> synopsis for lightning returns because as it tries to t- like tie all this stuff together it gets like kingdom hearts levels of crazy um and, and not in an endearing way just in an utterly like bonkers kind of why do they even bother kind of way uh, Charlotte, did you play either of these? Yeah. I started playing Final Fantasy XIII 2 after I finished Final Fantasy XIII on Wednesday. So I've only really played three hours of it so far. And already <laughs> I can see vast improvements on Final Fantasy XIII. Mm. And it's got some really good music as well. Oh. Like, I thought the music in Final Fantasy XIII was good, but the music in Final Fantasy XIII 2 is awesome. Yeah, there's um, that more electronic stuff, like really, like really tasteful kind of light electronica mm. yeah and just it it has a better grip on things right from the start and it's almost without making this into a 13 2 show it gets into the story almost a bit too fast it's like they learned the lesson from 13 and were like okay we need to speed this up time's ticking on but um yeah it's kind of refreshing mm. after playing 13 josh I, I, this might be the first time that they have really done well. Now, I guess Tentu did also uh, jump straight in, but they do not care if you did not play the first game. They are not recapping any of this for you. We are going now, and that is what it is. <laughs> so um, that's that's really the only thing that I would add to that is that there is no ramp up. Like, you, you, did you play Final Fantasy thirteen? Yes. Okay. Cool. You'll be fine. No. Oh. Okay. Well, this is probably not for you. <laughs> Is is Type Zeros in this in the Fabula Nova it Crystallis? Is. Yes. So uh, Fabula Nova Crystallis yes. is uh, kind of the what they had in mind for Final Fantasy Thirteen. Um, the fact that there are three Final Fantasy Thirteen games is not all that they intended to have at the beginning. Um, from the very beginning, Fabula Nova Crystallis was supposed to be kind of this expansive universe that was all tied together in some way. So if you uh, take a look at Final Fantasy uh, Type-0, as Tom mentioned, which I believe was originally a mobile game in Japan and then was ported to uh, consoles in the West, it uh, it was originally supposed to be a uh, Fabula Nova Crystallis game. I have not played it, so I don't know exactly how it links in, uh, just that it was uh, part of that, that whole kind of universe. They did something similar with uh, Final Fantasy VII and tying in Advent Children, uh, as well as um, that thing with Vincent. Um, the the shooter with Vincent, God. Dirge of Cerberus. Here. Dirge of Cerberus, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, there... 
they they did something similar with that um but uh, 13 was supposed to be even more expansive than that final fantasy 15 in fact which we will be covering in a couple of months uh originally started life as uh final fantasy versus 13 and if you go back and watch the original trailer from 2006 which i did uh it's the same it it has not changed much if at all uh i mean i'm sure that it has changed plenty but uh it is recognizably final fantasy 15 even at that point uh but it did it was originally supposed to be a part of the same kind of universe uh before it was split off into its own entry in the series so they had some pretty big goals for 13 right from the start um and as to whether it lives up to any of those, I, I think we've we've pretty much said a, a lot of our piece on that. Um, but uh, you, you listeners, have also said your pieces uh, on the internet at Kane and Rince on Twitter with three word reviews. And we'll start with Josh. John Bash says, Amorable, unfulfilled potential. Young Steve says, beautiful, bland, boring. Nick's Blaster says, gets better later. Ralamandastron says, promising but frustrating. Chris Smith says, boring long corridors. Michael Lowe says, look, another corridor. Fire Button says, absolutely astounding soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, Roxy says, 20 hour tutorial. Curtis says, Saz's cute chocofro. <laughs> Justin K says, gender swapped cloud. And Sean McElroy says, worst escape room. Okay, I'm, uh, whew, I'm a little bit flummoxed as to who to uh, slot into where, because we usually like to go from who liked it least to who liked it most. So I'm going to say, um, <laughs> right yeah, I think we're all, I, I think this is a tight one, but um, I'm, I'm going to say, Josh, let's, uh, let's start summarizing and I'm going to start with you. Um, just to give you some behind the scenes uh, <laughs> listeners, as Leah was saying, oh, I'm a little bit flummoxed as to who will be <laughs> the most, uh, most negative on the game. My name was already there <laughs> uh, first. <laughs> um but anyway um yeah i i i have definitely played worse jrpgs than final fantasy 13 um but this is very much a case of and i do believe this is like really true that uh intense dislike is not as strong as an emotion as disappointment mm. and final fantasy 13 is amongst the most disappointing um experiences i've had with a game um there are things to recommend um about it i think the soundtrack is great i think it looks pretty in a purely just uh shallow uh perspective i uh, i don't think the art does much in terms of character but like it's it's pretty um but overall it just does not come together um, to form an experience that is like one memorable, like like I, it was really important that I go back and and watch let's plays and uh, cutscenes for this game because there's stuff that um, there's details that I wouldn't have remembered based on my my playthrough of the game, um, but but also just 
like it's missing the the heart and soul that so many of uh, the entries in this series has had even the ones you know that i i think have suffered a little bit in the story department um like 12 we talked about how like towards the end a lot of the seeds of great ideas kind of added up to not much really but i was still invested in the initial concept that they were proposing even if it didn't kind of come together at the end 13 never really grabbed me with its story or its characters like fang is great but fang you can't build an entire game around one character being great um uh it it's it's i can't recommend this game i i think there are earlier entries that just come together more cohesively. Um, it's a great history lesson if you want to just experience it and see like where a series kind of ended up and how it's like ended up where it is now in a kind of identity confused state. Um, but yeah, I it's I don't really like it. The worst things that my parents used to say to me were, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. So I, I feel <laughs> it. Uh, Tom, how about you? I think Josh has said beautifully quite a lot of what I, I feel. I mean, this game kind of cleaves my brain in twain. I just, there's a lot to criticize. I, I think, you know, the internet criticism, it doesn't get started until 20 hours or whatever. It, it might be hyperbole, but it's still the, the, the truth of it is there. You have to spend too much of your life getting to grips with this game before it starts trusting you um, and taking the training wheels off. And that is ultimately inexcusable, I think. I think that really is a critical flaw, coupled with the very confused storytelling at the start and the... Um, just extraordinarily unlikable characters to begin with however much they might be redeemed uh later on for you personally or, or not at all you know but you can't really you can't really write off any one final fantasy game just the whole thing and say oh yeah that one's rubbish because there's always so much to them there's so much in them um as a sort of an aesthetic bundle if you take those kind of surface level graphics and the de design if that's what you're here for and the music for me there's loads here to enjoy. There's some absolutely gorgeous uh, art and design in here that's completely impractical and doesn't mesh with the world particularly, but it does look good. Um, the, the lighting, the colours, uh, and then also the the variety in the soundtrack and the, the sort of newness and freshness to the soundtrack. Not because Uematsu's not there, but because Hamautsu as, as the lead composer here and for the, the second and third game, there's some fantastic music in... 13.2 and Lightning Returns. Absolutely gorgeous stuff. So I think there's a lot here for fans of, of the art and the music. And if you were kind of, yeah, the, the history lesson, if you were interested in what does a big budget like game with a lot riding on it end up looking like when it's come out of development hell and they've had to make some key design choices that strip away stuff that, that fans of the series would be really um uh, familiar with towns and that kind of thing like as a lesson in what you end up with it's it's interesting and there is enjoyment to be had there's a lot of enjoyment to be had in the kind of like the fast puzzle based um battle system if if you like that kind of thing but i can only re recommend it to people who kind of know what 
kind of player they are and if they're not down for for that linear opening um stuff and for the kind of the anime tropes and the the the, the melodrama yeah this ain't for you i like playing final fantasy 13 for the most part but there are things about it that really get under my skin uh i only like half the characters i think that it is beautiful technically but it's also kind of sterile because there's not a whole it's like a museum you know there's a lot of things to look at and it's very pretty but there's nothing you can really do with them without getting arrested so i i it's it's just (laughs) yes thank you i'm here all week uh it's just tough for me to recommend final fantasy 13 i like the battle system but you don't really get to make full use of it until you know 20 or 30 hours in uh i i like the music that's that's that one doesn't really have a caveat i just like the music um yeah there's there's there are other games that i would recommend there are other final fantasy games that i would recommend there are other final fantasy 13 games that i would recommend before i would recommend (laughs) this one uh so uh i i i don't hmm. If you really like this kind of game, then you've probably already played this particular entry. Uh, I, unless you have a whole lot of time and are interested in being a completionist of the series, then I don't recommend Final Fantasy Thirteen. I, if anything, I would say read a plot synopsis and then go play Thirteen too. Um, it, it just it it doesn't have enough for me to be able to say to somebody else who actually has, you know, a life and other things to do that you should spend 30 hours waiting for this game to get good. And and that is a massive oversimplification. I think that it gets good before that, but also I've played it before, so I know how to kind of make it good before that. I don't know that if you don't already have that experience, you would be able to. Maybe you could. Um I would be happy to be wrong about that, but as it stands, uh, yes, game is not my favorite. Uh, that said, I'm going to still finish my playthrough because I'm an idiot, but, you know, it, it, it's not something that I think that most people should probably dive headfirst into. Uh, I have other recommendations. If you want them, you can, uh, you can send me a message on the forums, canonwins.com slash forums. Uh, in conclusion, Final Fantasy 13 is a game of contrasts. Charlotte, uh, I have put you last, not because I think that you love this game, but because I think that you and I have a largely similar opinion and I didn't want to have the last word. So um, what do you <laughs> think about Final Fantasy 13? So I was completely prepared to come on this show with one of the sole completely positive opinions on Final Fantasy XIII because when I um, got up to that 20-hour mark, I was totally taken in with the story and I was glad to read the data logs and piece it all together myself and I was really enjoying it at that point. But when I picked it up again um, to finish it off for Kane and Rins, I realised that it started to outstay its welcome really badly. And even as I was learning how to actually play the game properly, it wasn't making my enjoyment of the game any better. In fact, it was making me realize that a lot of it was really shallow. And as the game got past that chapter 11, where it's like, oh yeah, the game opens up for like, where the fans say that the game opens up, I really wasn't convinced that it had opened up. And it was just starting to show all of its cracks and it was... Yeah, and, and then I started to realize, actually, did it, 
if it wasn't for Kane and Rince, would I actually want to continue playing this game? And would I want to invest 40 hours minimum into this game? And the answer is no. So I, I genuinely can't recommend somebody to play this game now. I think it sounds as though not having a rich history in Final Fantasy games, um, that there are better games to play. In fact, I'm going to be talking about 15 and I think you should go and play 15 above this game. So, you know, we've, we've, all, we've all got a finite amount of time to play games and I really don't think it's worth spending your time on Final Fantasy 13 unless you're really, really curious or you're happy to put it down halfway through and never come back to it again. <laughs> because it's it's just the last 10... The last 20 hours were kind of grating on me. The last five hours, I just was like, when is this going to end? I've had enough. All right. So, uh, not exactly a glowing recommendation from any of us, but uh, there you have it. And uh, that remains for me, Leah, to thank Thomas, Charlotte, and Josh, as well as our correspondents, our editor, Jay, and, of course, everybody who is listening to this podcast. Thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, if you've enjoyed us uh, today or any other time in the past, uh, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, or best of all, if you are able to, please go to patreon.com slash get every Kanan podcast one week earlier, and usually extended. I, I think this one will be. Uh, my timing's a little bit off because we had technical issues starting off, but... Uh, there probably will be a little bit extra for this time. Uh, plus the monthly mini cast with uh, Leon and Jay. Next time in issue 391, it's spooky season. Get scared with us and with the evil within. 